Hi, everyone. You're listening to Who I Met Today, and I'm your host, Pam Lamp. I'm all about doing one tiny new thing every single day. And on this podcast, I invite you to come along with me and discover something new through conversations with people from all walks of life. I hope you enjoy listening to these interviews and exploring new territory with me. For more people stories and episodes, please visit my website, whoimettoday.com. My guest today is Lizzie Post, the co-president of the Emily Post Institute in her home state of Vermont. I'm delighted to have Lizzie here today to shed some light on tipping etiquette, including at holiday time. Hey, Lizzie, how are you today? I'm well, Pam. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Looking forward to our chat today. Your great-great-grandmother was the legendary Emily Post. And I read that she, born in 1872, into a wealthy family, grew up in this sort of household where well-bred women didn't work. But Emily did. She wrote stories that were published in magazines, a few books, newspaper column, had a radio show. She published her etiquette book in 1922 that topped the nonfiction bestseller list and made her a national figure. So my question for you, Lizzie, (laughs) is how does it feel to be following in the footsteps of your great-great-grandmother? I think it feels wonderful. I will tell you, Pam, that I do not think I was anyone's first choice bet on the kid in the family who might work at this business (laughs) one day. I think our family had faith in all of us, but I wasn't a kid who was, you know, doing my own tea parties at home and getting very excited about etiquette things as a child. And so I think it was a bit of a surprise. But I will tell you that when I was 30, I'd been working at the Institute for five years at that point, did a lot of gopher role type stuff along with having my first book come out and getting to be a spokesperson for Emily Post, where I do things like this interview, talk with people about etiquette and Emily and her history and the value of etiquette today. And In doing that, I always wondered, is there something else for me out there in life? You know, I I love the arts. I love cooking and baking. I really love customer service, believe it or not. I like hospitality and, and serving people. And is there something better suited to me? And there was a TED Talk, which you can still find. It's called Five Questions to Your Life's Purpose. And the person conducting it has you answer five questions, the first of which is, what is your name? So really just four questions you have to think hard about. And when you get your your answers to all of the questions, it kind of creates a sentence that you could read aloud. And it really gives you an idea of what your life's purpose might be. My sentence became something along the lines of, my name is Lizzie Post. And more than anything else in the world, I really love to help my family and friends when they have a problem, because it gives them reassurance, assistance, a sense of community, you know, like all the good things that help would do. And for me, it makes me feel good and a part of the life around me, that sort of thing. And gosh darn it, if my job doesn't really let me do exactly what that sentence describes. Now, you mentioned a book, and I know that you had updated Emily Post Etiquette, and it was called the Centennial Edition, which came out last fall. I have a question. How do you come up with your suggestions and your etiquette guides? Is it your family and the Emily Post Institute thinking about etiquette situations? 
based on consideration and respect or how do you do how do you (laughs) how do you determine that what goes in the book is the correct etiquette it's hard and i can tell you even with a lot of editing you're still gonna have every etiquette book has something wrong but for the most part Emily Post etiquette has always acted as a social barometer. We've always tried to do a lot of qualitative research in paying attention to the world around us and what our audience is telling us in terms of the experiences they have and whether they find them polite, rude, respectful, disrespectful, considerate, not considerate, you know, go pick your avenue of correctness. But how they react to it helps us figure out where Americans stand today in terms of behavior and how they perceive it, how they receive it. We don't all always agree about things. And I think that the Emily Post Institute, rather than just thinking that each time we have to make a decision, you know, yes, it's okay to say, sir, miss, and ma'am. No, it's not okay to say, sir, miss, and ma'am. Rather than say there's one or the other, we've really come to a place where we say we're hearing both. We hear from about 65% of people saying that the use of honorifics when addressing someone they don't know is appreciated. Whereas about 35% say, you know, I really don't appreciate these terms and I kind of wish they'd go away. Really? When possible, ask. It's also okay to pay attention to the region or if you're aware of a social custom within a family or social group. So it's about being flexible and aware today. And I think that makes it a lot easier to take individual issues and either identify them as this is what we do. For instance, you know how we're all replying to weddings now with like digital RSVPs. Often they're on the wedding website and you just fill it out right there. Sure. Well, I'm sure, Pam, you remember the days when the reply card was the most common suggested way to get those RSVPs. Well, it was the only way. It was the only I'm, way. I'm dating myself, but, you know, before email, that was the only way to get an RSVP. Well, I'll make the tradition even older than the idea that the RSVP reply card was the only way. The reply card was the modern day annoying new etiquette that came out that my grandmother had to finally acquiesce to and say, okay, Everyone's doing this. Nobody finds it offensive. We're finally going to say you do not have to use your finest stationery and a handwritten reply, which was the original way to reply. You can still reply that way. But it's an example of how over time things do change in etiquette. We're always going to try to be considerate and respectful and honest. And at Emily Post, we really base our etiquette on those three principles. And we have for a long time now. And those guide us when we encounter new things like cell phones, social media, you know, working from home business calls and things like that. Your website is fun to navigate. I went down the rabbit hole and um, spent some time looking at things. And it's a great source for someone that's writing a sympathy note or a thank you note or if you need some advice about what to wear black tie, white tie, business casual, et cetera. And you also have a wedding timeline, a wedding planning timeline on your website, which I thought was interesting. Let me ask you a wedding-related question. Sure. When you send a gift, Mm -hmm. how long does the bride or the groom have to respond and send a thank you (laughs) note? 
<laughs> Traditionally, it used to be up to a year, but I think that nowadays and for quite a long time, ever since I've joined the Institute in 2007, the advice has really been that within the three-month mark and our our suggestion to couples is when the gift arrives, especially if you've got gifts coming in prior to the wedding, that sending the thank you note as soon as possible really makes a big difference. And it's important to recognize that you don't want a ton of lag time. You don't want people questioning whether or not the gift arrived or whether or not you were grateful. So it really is important to get on those thank you notes ASAP as soon as the gifts start coming in. I like that new timeline (laughs) because (laughs) I think a year is too long. Like you said, I want a long time. No, I I want to know that my gift has been received. I'm a huge fan of any bride or groom that sends a thank you note out immediately. Me too. I just think that's wonderful. Well, today's focus is on tipping, and I can't wait to talk to you about this. Is it my imagination, or do gratuities seem to be more expected than they used to be? It's a delicate way of saying it, or an interesting way of saying it. I'm not sure that they are more expected. I think that they are being requested or we are being presented with opportunities for them to be requested of us more often. That is a, I I think it has come about because of a number of things. One, during the pandemic, people were really trying to tip more regularly to help businesses live throughout. And I think that was, people were also recognizing how hard it was For small teams at things like cafes and sandwich shops, you know, your local burrito place, you know, one person gets hit with COVID, often coworkers hang out with each other. That means like three people are out for weeks at a time. And sometimes places were having to close. And so I think people were really trying their hardest to tip as much as they possibly could if they were able to. So you have that mentality going on during the pandemic. And even though we've really been out of the sort of lockdown, you know, really dire time of the pandemic for a good, you know, year plus now, I feel like there's still that carryover and a little bit of a habit that developed. If you were someone who could afford to tip more, you were often just starting to feel like that was normal. You've also then got inflation going on where people are being hit really hard financially all across the board. And then at the same time, technology seems to have just erupted everywhere in terms of that tipping screen and the option to tip on that screen. Now, sometimes the programs that people are using, that's automatically in there and they don't know how to turn it off or they're not familiar enough with the system they're using. And so it's just a part of something at a place where you might not be used to seeing it, like a retail store or maybe the gas station if you're not in a state where tipping for gas is is common. Does the U.S. tip more than other countries or is tipping pretty consistent worldwide? I have the impression that Europeans, at least, tip a little less than we do. So far as I understand it, Americans do have very high tipping rates and standards compared to other countries. And I know that my family likes to go to Italy when possible. And over there, it's more common for you to leave a very small amount, like quite literally your leftover change is a plenty of a tip because the people are paid livable wages and your tip is more supposed to be like, you know, have a coffee tomorrow morning on me or or something like that. Lizzie, I'm actually in a hotel now and I'm often not certain what to do. Okay. I read very recently that housekeepers are among the least paid service staff. Mm. So you should leave a tip for housekeeping. 
what kind of a tip do you suggest? Well, first of all, it's important to recognize that housekeeping staff can change daily. And so when we talk about hotel tipping and tipping the housekeeping, it's really important you do this daily. Or if you're declining service for the whole week, that you make sure you do tip on that last day. Typically, we're talking about a dollar or two per person in the room. And the more mess, I would say, the more I would increase that tip. One of the reasons why it's also really important to leave that tip in the room and with a little note that says for housekeeping, thank you so much, is because I have come across more housekeepers that will not touch any cash on the dresser or even if it really looks like it's away from your stuff and everything, they won't touch it. And so it's really... I never thought of that. It's really, really important that you leave a note that says, this is for you. You know, this is for housekeeping. Thank you so much. But it's also important that you recognize, you know, again, how many people are in that room that they are servicing and think about a dollar or two per person. Per day. Per day, yes. Okay. What about the person that comes up to your room with a dehumidifier or... A hairdryer. Okay, so you've called down to the front desk and you've asked for something special. Again, that's like a dollar or two per service instance. If it was huge and cumbersome and awkward or they really, you know, got something unusual for you, I might consider more like in the five plus range. But a dollar or two for most hotel interactions. What about a concierge that helps you with tickets or a Uh restaurant reservation, or just gives you directions somewhere? So the bigger the the favor that they've done for you or the service they've done for you, the bigger you want to tip. But I would be looking more in that like 10 to 20 or even more if we're at a very high-end hotel and what they've secured for you is a very high-end situation, then I would up it quite a bit. But personally, at the hotels I frequent, which are more mid-range type things, We're looking at if someone scored you a table at a tough-to-get restaurant or tickets to a show. Whether or not they're hard to get, I think somewhere in that like $10 to $20 range is nice. What about taxi drivers or rideshare apps? Mm, This used to be different. When rideshare apps first came out, the idea was that the driver had the control. They were setting the rate and therefore you didn't need to tip. This is not the case anymore. The rideshare apps have so much competition in each town and city that they are in that they really don't have a lot other than being able to set a competitive rate to go on. And so we really should be tipping these folks. Um, And a tip isn't just your compliment, your five-star review. It's the actual financial tip. And that could be anywhere from 10 to 20% of the ride. 10% is for those quick, short, you know, in and out, no big deal rides. As we start to want to think about 20% or even 15%, that's when someone's helped you with bags. You really enjoyed the ride. They took some great direction. Maybe if there was a way you preferred to go, something like that. What's customary for restaurants nowadays? Same as it has been for a long time. We always tip 15% at restaurants. Most of the time at a restaurant, a server is tipped what's known as the federal tip wage, which is down around the like $2.60 range as opposed to minimum wage, which I think can be anywhere right now, depending on the state you live in from like $7 to $15. So 
really something to understand about restaurant tipping and why it's a little bit different is that there's a huge expectation in the way the financials are set up for that job that each customer is paying a 15 to 20% tip. And now we've been inundated with, for lack of a better term, the cash register kiosks where you pay (laughs) and then they flip it around and you can give a tip or not. Mm -hmm. And it seems like those are everywhere, no matter what you purchase. Should we feel obligated? No, this is discretionary tipping. Think of it like a tip jar. If you went into a deli or a cafe, you know, your local coffee shop and you were you were grabbing some food or a drink to go, or even if it was just counter service where you you actually take it and you clear your own table as well. This is discretionary tipping. This is up to you whether or not you leave a tip. And I also think that more people are inclined to leave a tip when they have a big or complicated order and it's a really busy time of day. Okay, sure. I have a list. (laughs) And every year, I tell myself that I'm going to make a list Mm -hmm. of the tips that I've given service people Mm -hmm. throughout the year so that I can keep track of how much I gave them the previous holiday. Mm -hmm. And every year, I either don't do it or I can't find the list that I made from the last (laughs) year. So I start over from scratch every year. Let's go down the list of holiday tipping. Okay. And if you could tell us just a general ballpark or what to keep in mind. Holiday tipping is a tradition that not everyone is aware of. And I think that's first and foremost something to recognize. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So if you're, I mean, we've, I remember my, my brother-in-law didn't know about holiday tipping practices at all until he came to work at Emily Post. And that is not uncommon. So I think number one, we got to just recognize that this is not the most recognized um, practice everywhere, that it's not done everywhere. I think the other thing we really need to recognize is that this traditionally has been a way to say thank you at the end of the year. Now that can be done in a lot of ways. And I think the more we can get behind the idea of this being holiday thanking rather than holiday tipping, that we might be able to make it more inclusive and make it feel like an act that you really want to participate in rather than something that feels forced and extra. And I think that's an important thing too, is that we really don't want to lose the gratitude in our gratuities. I like the idea of holiday thanking. That's very nice. Right. And I think it's that kind of thing where, especially during hard times, which a lot of people are experiencing very hard financial times right now, shifting it to that thanking can really take the pressure off during a hard year and allow you to still engage with the service people in your life, let them know that you are grateful for the service, but acknowledging that this was a year you weren't able to do what you could do in years past. And that's okay too. What's your suggestion for a hairdresser? Let's start there. For And again, this is going to be a little bit different based on you and your relationship with the person, but typically we do up to the cost of one regular service. And I tend to think this is someone who you could do an either or cash or a gift. I, I have two different salons that I frequent and one of them, I have developed such a special relationship her, with her that I have done gifts that felt more natural for us and our friendship than a tip. And then the other one, has actually expressed to me that she really prefers, I make a a homemade uh, English toffee each year as a holiday gift. And she says she prefers to receive that to the tip. 
And would that be the same for a manicurist, a facialist, a masseuse, someone like that? personal trainer, if you have a personal trainer? There's a lot of people that fall into this category. Dog walker is another one. What about babysitters and nannies? This is one where, again, up to one instance of service, maybe if it's a very regular babysitter and you have the funds, you could do up to a week's worth of service. That said, I know a lot of babysitters and nannies who at the holiday time, they receive a gift from the family or a gift from the child and a tip from the family. So there are different combos, but we do highly suggest a card no matter what and a card or a gift coming from the child. And I think that that's really important. That's a nice touch. Yeah. Nice touch. I will say too, understand that different people do this in different ways. I had a family that I worked with for years and they were very well off. They never gave me a cash tip, either on babysitting nights, on anything. There was never, never a cash tip that came my way from them. But I got a beautiful scarf. I got, you know what I mean? Like they preferred to give actual gifts. And I think it's just important to recognize that the person who's doing the giving, especially with these holiday gifts where it's a a little bit of a choice, right? It's not like at a restaurant where it's definitely going to be cash or, or on the credit card. I think it's important to remember that the person doing the giving and doing the thanking has that choice, that discretion. Mm -hmm. What about newspaper and mail delivery and trash collectors? Newspaper and did you say mail delivery? I said mail delivery, but we can add package delivery to that too. So for mail delivery and package delivery, you really need to check with the company. For mail delivery, obviously, that's United States Postal Service. They do not allow carriers to accept cash or checks, nothing with an intrinsic value over $20. It's better to often give something to the whole branch. I think that's a really good way to go. Certainly a note to your own letter carrier is really nice and thoughtful, and they have good suggestions on the website for things to do for your carrier. Delivery services like a FedEx or a UPS, that kind of service, DHL, your regular person, it's really important that you check with the company to make sure that they are allowed to receive tips or if they are allowed to receive gifts, what type of gifts they are allowed to receive. You really don't want to get anybody in trouble. A few more on my list. I live in a building. So Mm -hmm. we have, you know, staff members that staff the front desk different times of the day and on weekends. And we have maintenance personnel. Mm -hmm. Your suggestion for that? So it a little bit depends on the building that you live in. Some buildings actually structure this into the cost of living in the building. Other buildings might send out a reminder that it's holiday tipping season. Not sure that that is really the way I would suggest you go, but I understand why they might do it. I think that it's important if you do live in a building for you to know the staff in that building, for you to be aware that there's staff probably at the front desk or a doorman that you never see because, you know, their shift and your sleep schedule don't line up. Exactly. And so I think it's important to get a list of all the staff from either the superintendent or the building manager, whomever it is that would be the the coordinating person. And then it just depends on what staff is in that building. For all of these people, we do have amounts on emilypost.com. Typically, I think it's really important with this particular group 
to make sure that you're giving a note with this tip to acknowledge the people who are there in the building. It's a very personal thing, someone who is caretaking the place you live in. And I think really recognizing that and making sure that you're using names, looking people in the eye, giving them a handshake, maybe if you're giving that tip personally. These are all signs of respect that make the tip a lot more than just tossing money at someone at the end of the year because you think you're supposed to. Okay, I have one more, one more category. Kids, teachers, and lesson people. Dance instructors, gymnastic Mm -hmm. teacher, all the different activities that kids go to after school. So I'll admit that after school activities and private classes and things like that are not something that we have on our list. Often these are, they're set by the establishment or the person running that program And it hasn't traditionally been a space that we go to in terms of holiday tipping. Teachers is a really tough one. Teachers are in a really hard position. They are expected to pay for a lot of classroom supplies out of their own pocket, which means that they are someone that we recognize. We put a lot of pressure on them to make the experience in the classroom as enriching as possible for the students. And we don't give them the financial support to do that. We just don't. And I think it's really important that we recognize that, but they fall into a different category of things because often schools have policies about teachers not being able to accept gifts of cash or even certain items in certain ways which will lead people to do things like think, oh, if the classroom needs a monitor, let's get all the parents together. And if we all chip in 30 bucks, you know, that's probably too much. If we all chip in 15 bucks, the classroom can have a monitor and that'll be so great. And the teacher will be so happy. And yet group gifts around classrooms can sometimes be a really tough thing to manage and manage well, especially when we're talking about People's budgets, which tends to be a private thing. You don't want to expose someone who's going through a really hard time and make them feel pressured. You also don't want to come across seeming like money's no object and sort of playing that role for the group. So teachers fall into a really delicate space. You also don't want something. We've heard of things like, I had miles on my JetBlue account. And so I wanted to give the teacher the miles so that they could go on a trip this summer or something like that. That is huge. That is over the top. And I I love the spirit behind it. I don't want to diminish that at all. But what happens when you give that gift at the half term? So, you know, at the holiday season, and let's say things get really difficult with that kid in the classroom in the spring semester, it puts the teacher in a very awkward situation, I think at least. And I think it's important to just recognize that throwing money at things and problems isn't always the best way to solve it. And there are delicate considerations when we're talking about a school setting. Daycares are different. They are not public schools. They aren't, they aren't that same type of setting. A daycare might be a place where you're considering doing a holiday tip. And it's not one that's in our, in our group because we often think of those daycares as something where they're setting their own prices and things like that. But that's not necessarily true for the worker. It might be true for whomever owns the daycare. So this is a place we're exploring in terms of holiday tipping. I know that etiquette manners have changed a lot over Mm -hmm. the years. Can you think of any etiquette that would make your great-great-grandmother cringe? Things we do today. 
She was a technophile. I think she'd think it was amazing that we had basically computers in our pockets and all the crazy things we can do with them. But I think she would not be impressed by social media. I think she would love the connectivity. And I think she would be deeply disappointed with the oversharing and the hate speech and the trolling. It's not like trolls didn't exist in her day, too. They just didn't have, you know, the Internet at their fingertips. (laughs) I think that's one thing people forget. It's really easy to look back on years past nostalgically. Like those were the good old days and we were polite and life was good and candy was a penny. But reality check, every generation does that. Our kids are going to do that to us. More important is to look at how we're treating each other today. And I think she'd be impressed that we, for all the discord that's out there right now, especially here in America, that there is still this focus on the individual and who they are and that their perspective matters. She would love that. Well, that's hopeful. Thank you for saying that. Any non-negotiables in the etiquette department for you personally? I will always be a big supporter of an advocate for saying please and thank you. I think it makes such a big difference to our interactions. I also think punctuality is one of the easiest things. Well, maybe not easiest, but it's one of the best things you can fine tune to not keep other people waiting or to really be good about reaching out and communicating if you are going to be late. Lizzie, I always like to ask my guest at the end of each episode, what new thing they've done or discovered lately. It can be large or small or tiny. There are two things at work that just have me so jazzed right now. And one is we just started creating earlier this year in January and February, digital download planners. So a dinner party planner that has all of our classic dinner party advice, along with tools like a menu planner and seating charts. So you get like the seating chart advice followed by a workable digital document that you can actually plan a seating chart for your table in. I got so jazzed on these when I started making them for the company and putting them out. And it's been awesome to hear the reception, but we've done them for all kinds of stuff. The dinner party one has companion packets that are recipe planners. So you get an hors d'oeuvre, a main dish for, you know, your entree basically, and then a dessert. And it automatically has a pre-populated shopping list that you can adjust the amounts on. So if you want to scale up or down that kind of thing, or, oh, I've got those ingredients, I don't need it, or my recipe, I'm going to substitute this, that you can just take right to the grocery store. And it's just a nice little packet and set that kind of can help you work your way through planning those things. If you're either not as focused or not as skilled at it, or if it's new to you, But we've got them for everything from like a a wedding shower and an engagement party and a bridesmaid's luncheon. There's three different recipe packs and the dinner party one. And then there's also things like a thank you note smart list. So you could use this list to keep track of your thank yous throughout the year. So that, you know, it's just it's a simple check, not not just a checklist, but it's a simple form that you can fill out so that it makes it easier to do the task and to remember that you've done it. Those sound great, and I can see how they would be fun for you to design or create. Are they for sale on your website? Oh, yes. Sorry, I should mention they are. There, We have a an Emily Post shop, and you can find them on our website. They are for sale on it, and we are adding new ones all the time. It's a really, really fun place to go, but it's the Emily Post shop. And again, you can get there from emilypost.com. But I will tell you, Pam, my other thing that I'm just geeking 
out on excited about that's new to me right now. I'm going to sound like a commercial, but we just started using monday.com to organize ourselves at Emily Post. And I don't know what that is. It's a website that basically has a bunch of different functions, whether you're doing project management or customer relation management. It helps you stay organized. It can set up automations so that, for instance, right after I get back from a book event, the system in Monday will automatically send an email to the person who managed the event for me with helpful information to share in their newsletter or on their social media or something like that. I'm a big fan of organizational things, whether they're plastic boxes or files. Now, is monday.com strictly for businesses or is there an individual? Oh, you could, I think, I mean, we're using it for business purpose, but I could totally see you using it as an individual. I know there are free versions of it. And and again, I'm not a commercial. They are not sponsoring me. This is just my week this week. We started in on this and it has solved so many work problems for me that I can't even tell you how excited I am about it. Fair enough. (laughs) Lizzie, thank you so much for being on Who I Met Today. I really appreciate it, and I had fun talking to you. Well, that's it for today's show. Thanks so much to Lizzie for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did, I hope you'll listen to other episodes and spread the word about this new show. A huge thank you to Brian at Top Tier Audio for his advice and guidance, and thanks to you for tuning in. And remember, I'd love to hear from you if you discover a fun new thing. My email is pam at whoimettoday.com.